And I mean, like, why does it cost £25 to buy an eco-friendly food wrapping when you can just buy cling film for a pound? Yeah, exactly. There's no yeah, the consum- there yeah that. it's just illogical. Like, the consumers are generally not the problem. It's the markets that provide and construct these ideas that we then buy into. Hello everyone, welcome to a brand new season of Brown Don't Frown, a podcast which was inspired by my own personal story and journey with womanhood and feminism. It's a podcast where we celebrate new perspectives and unconventional thinking. Brown Don't Frown seeks to build a more inclusive discourse which breaks down the prejudice and assumptions about different passions, opinions and cultures and shines a light on the stories of underrepresented women who do not fit the typical criteria or ideals of mainstream feminism. I am your host, Tanya Hardcastle. Stay tuned for what we hope to be an informative, engaging and thought-provoking season three. We have some incredible guests lined up, including other podcasters, changemakers in the fields of climate change, artificial intelligence, technology, environmental campaigns, South Asian mental health awareness and bereavement, as well as personal stories in the wake of Black Lives Matter. If you have thoughts or comments or would like to get in touch and contribute to the podcast in any way, please do feel free to get in touch at browndontfrownpod at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening. Take care and stay safe. Hello everyone. Joining us today, I'm honoured to have Natasha Piet-Bashir, Environmental Campaign Manager, and Shahida Aziz, Garden Outreach Lead and Therapeutic Gardener from the Women's Environmental Network. Welcome to you both. Hi. Hi, Tanya. Thank you for having us. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for for being here and giving up your Friday evening. (laughs) (laughs) Can't think of anything better on a Friday Friday evening. (laughs) So Shahida and Natasha will tell us a bit more about themselves. So over to you guys. Shahida, would you like to go first? I do garden outreach uh, uh, with WEN and I'm also a therapeutic gardener for the Soul Sisters Project. I come from teaching background, so I trained as an early years teacher and worked in many London schools in different capacities from my 20s onwards. I think I had a bit of a light bulb moment when I very randomly came across the job of my dreams, which was working at a city farm initially as a trainee gardener. Um, I remember being quite... Wow, a- <laughs> oh my God, what a change. I know, it was a real shift, um, but like the shift that I was like waiting for and I just remember, yeah, I was really overwhelmed with emotions on the first day and I was like, literally talking to my mum in my head who's no longer here with us, but, she, you know, telling her mum I'd, I'd made it. <laughs> I made it. Yeah, my dreams have come true. My dreams have come true. It was like a real special moment. But whilst working at the farm, I heard about when and learned that the farm had worked closely with them for a while. Um, And again, amongst all the beautiful flowers and greenery, I just wondered what it must be like to work for an organisation that puts women's issues at the heart of what they do. So that thought kind of manifested into me seeing an advert, a job post, um, to work as an intern for WEN, who were looking to hire women of colour in particular within Town Hamlets. So I fit the bill, I applied, I got on the 10-week internship. Fast forward to 2020, I guess I'm very much part of the team. 
But I guess that feeling of luck also comes from the deep rooted feeling that I shouldn't have this kind of job in the first place or the mm. kind of white people occupy or, you know, you don't grow up in town hamlets thinking you'll get a job in the environmental sector. That's no. far too much privilege for a brown girl. So I think that's partly the reason why I surprised myself in a way. So yeah, um, and I'm sure you surprised others as well in a positive way. And Natasha, take it away. I actually came across Women's Environmental Network through my master's research. I wanted to do my dissertation on the links between menstrual health and its effect on girls' education. And I didn't know about when um, until I did a search just on my, you know, Google search bar, just searching for organizations that were um, working on menstrual health related issues. And then I came across WEN and it was just incredible to learn of this campaign that they have been working on um, for ages now, these sorts of issues uh, around the effects of menstrual health and its link with the environment and health. And I was really blown away by the, uh, the amount of um, work and emphasis on the intersection between, you know, the environmental health and social issues surrounding periods, which I hadn't before really thought about on a deep level. And um, I just knew that, you know, from my previous work, I had learned about the incredible uh, issues surrounding lack of access to period products uh, around the globe and how this is uh, something that I thought was just so much of a privilege that I hadn't hadn't truly thought about deeply before. So there's quite a lot to talk about when it comes to when. I came across your organisation a few months ago actually when you recommended my podcast as, as part of your I think it was part of an article recommending various intersectional pieces of information. So thank you so much for doing that. It'd be really interesting, I think, for the listeners for you to tell us a bit more about the history of when and how it came to came to fruition. Sure. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. So Women's Environmental Network or WEN was founded quite a while ago, actually. It's been over 30 years. So it was founded around 1988 and officially became WEN in 89, I think. Wow. And, um, and it was really created uh, from pioneers in the environmental justice movement in, in the way that they wanted to uh, tackle issues, environmental issues through a more inclusive lens and looking at how um, the environment and women um, interconnect especially. Um, so WEN really works to support women and their communities to take action for a healthier planet. So since you know the late 80s, WEN has really been building strong partnerships and promoting social action on environmental issues. Mm. And a lot of our projects are around focusing on things like women's health and the environment and looking at how those two intersect. And also we support women and communities to achieve environmental justice uh, and gender equality. So ways that we do this are through creating collaborative partnerships with uh, other organizations, academics, policymakers, etc. Um, and we launch projects and campaigns that really 
you know, work to make a real difference uh, and improve people's lives. Mm. So that's sort of what who when is. Um, and we now we really have key six project areas. So uh, we have a focus on nature and well-being. So when supports projects that promote positive mental health and well-being and well-being. Uh, through therapeutic gardening, uh, food growing, and cooking. We also work on an air equality project. So, yeah, we look at um, how we can take practical action to improve air quality, and we offer workshops and toolkits through our project. Um, and we also do a uh, women's climate action uh, activities. So we're working with uh, other feminist organizations to launch a Green New Deal set of principles through an intersectional lens. That sounds amazing. Um, yeah, those are just a, a few. Of, <laughs> a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah, it sounds very awesome. Very productive organization, which is making sure that people are aware um, and yeah, making lots of noise, which is very important for an organization, especially one that centers around environmental justice. I know that uh, when recently launched a new initiative, entitled justice food and climate transition and i just wanted to ask what the key objectives of that were oh yeah sure um so just fact is a new and exciting five-year-long initiative uh, supporting community-led climate action in town hamlets we received 2.1 million pounds our biggest pot of funding i think to date which is an outstanding achievement for when um yeah absolutely we'll we'll be working with local residents as we have been and um there'll be about around 10 community organizations focusing on reducing the environmental impacts of our food system we'll obviously be opening up the debate about how food is farmed packaged and transported looking at the effects how it that affects us directly and of course, like with the rise of food banks due to COVID, it really does put the spotlight on some of the societal issues of course. we face with regards to food poverty in general. And, yeah. you know, more, more so into Hamlets as well, um, as we always hear, like it's the poorest borough in the UK. But our goal is to create a resilient food system. Uh, that means creating a planet and people-friendly diet that is affordable. You know, we want to support we want the support of our community and the consent of our community to look at people's consumption and eating habits. What can we do to ensure we are eating as well as we can without compromising the planet? You know, mm, um, course, yeah. and how can we actively be part of the climate change movement in Tower Hamlets? Um, what are we going to look at and how are we going to work together to bring about like positive changes that is accessible for everyone? Mm, yeah, accessibility is a, is a big driver at the moment. It's a huge yeah. I think and Gwen is really centers around that like how can we make the idea of climate issues viable mm. to the person in the house yeah. we all seem to have like accepted the fact that Hamlet is one of the most economically deprived boroughs in the UK so I think from Gwen's perspective we're asking ourselves what are we going to do about it how are we going to protect our communities care for each other and live a good life essentially mm. um, being an eco-warrior in your own right without <laughs> To labels that come with being an environmentalist yeah or you know and obviously like people say charity starts at home but well you know i say eating well starts at home recycling starts at home learning to compost starts in your own little communities and like small steps working towards the bigger picture is kind of like our our aim and our goal mm. um, one of the quotes on our website 
is about the Just Fact project because it's a new initiative. We literally just had the pre-launch meeting like last week. So. Yeah, yeah, you said it was very early. So it's like, yeah, I'm still kind of like getting my head around it. But on our website, when.org.uk, you, you can find out more about it on our website. And, and obviously our approach aims to be always intersectional, inclusive and feminist. And if we understand the word feminist in the way that is meant to be understood, then we can accept that we work here at WEN with people from all walks of life, all gender, giving marginalised voices a platform to be heard in the environmental movement. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned accessibility and how can we make climate justice, climate change, the topics around and the topics surrounding it more accessible and relatable to people around us and our communities. And the fact that the whole initiative is inspired by community engagement um, sounds really, really incredible. And yeah, I can't wait to see where the, the new initiative takes when. Part of when's objectives uh, are to, well, one of them is to seek to enable a more equal and just society through the intersection of gender with environmental issues, as you've both explained so eloquently. And you do this through equipping women with knowledge, resources, and various opportunities to facilitate environmental justice, as you've laid out uh, just now. Firstly, how do we achieve environmental justice? And secondly, how do we ensure that it is intersectional? Sasha, do you want a good question? Yeah. <laughs> sure, I'll go, I'll go. <laughs> so very, very good question. So I suppose through the um, work that uh, we do uh, for our environmental campaign, which is a campaign that looks at the issue around hidden plastic and harmful chemicals in traditional uh, period products mm -hmm. like tampons and pads. Um, through this campaign, we really try to uh, ensure that it's an inclusive campaign, that it includes all women and people who menstruate. We want to ensure that every woman and person who menstruates has equal access to safe, fair and healthy menstrual products. Mm. At the moment, the, the typical products that are available happen to be damaging to people's health and to the planet at large. So, and it's really important that fact that a lot of the cheaper products that are most readily available happen to be the ones that are harm the most harmful. And that means that the people with the least power have the greatest exposure to these dangerous products. Yeah. Um, and so through our environmental campaign, we really want to amplify uh, the issue, the environmental health and social issues surrounding menstruation through an intersectional lens mm. uh, in that way. So we look at, um, you know, for example, the taboo that is surrounding menstruation for a lot of communities around the globe yeah. and how this can often um, have a massive impact on the products we use and also how we dispose of them. Yeah. The products that we would hope that are available to everyone are free from harmful or toxic chemicals and products that are also better for people's health and the environment. We want there to be greater transparency around the, the products that are available. Um, at the moment, it's not a requirement for peer product manufacturers to disclose the ingredients uh, in the product. So that leaves 
women and uh, people with periods not having access to the knowledge that they need to make an informed choice about the products they're using. Yeah, I, I read about that yesterday on your website. And um, I also came across the template letters, to the supermarkets that you've outlined for ordinary people, I guess, members of the public who may want to write to their local supermarkets and ask if they would reveal the ingredients or help us Mm -hmm. to understand a bit more about these products yeah exactly and you would think that it would be something that would be of the utmost sort of priority of many of the you know industry giants Mm -hmm. of in the menstrual product industry but um but it's really not in the list of priorities um and so we try to look at you know alternative options that are um you know less harmful to uh people's bodies as well as their wider environment but we also recognize that being able to choose for example a healthy organic period product can come at a cost actually yeah. to some people it's not all, always available to everyone so and some people may experience different um, difficulties when it comes to trying different products as well it could be because of a disability or mobility issues or um due to trauma, they may not be able to use insertable products, for example. So yeah, yeah. We, we try to look at it from a very holistic lens when we do our environmental work. Mm. But we also look at the um, life cycle of the period products as well, like throughout the supply chain and how, for example, a lot of the products contain um, cotton. And if it's not organic cotton, then we also look at the human rights of cotton workers who are... Yeah exposed to you know the pesticides um in in the food crop growing and um and how this can expose you know families to to harmful um environmental pollutants um so yeah we really look at trying to look at this this issue from an intersectional lens and really importantly we want to be as as inclusive as possible to and recognize that it's not only women that menstruate and there are people that may identify as trans that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that also menstruate. So we always use the language of if we're saying women, we also say women and people who menstruate yeah. um, because peri- periods can be experienced across the gender spectrum. Of course. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And we try to be representative when we are talking about periods, because it's really important to also see people that might look like you openly talking about periods in, yeah. you know, in the public eye or in in the workshops that we're doing or in our even in our in our branding and in how we um, kind of talk about periods openly. Yeah. I, yeah. I just I think that's um, what. Well, what we look at um, predominantly is like we go back to basics and strip ourselves bare and start the journey again. Mm. And what does that journey look like? How do we manage? To, how did we manage to live in a world without mass-produced plastic? Because we did, right? At some point, yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> there was yeah. a time that we relied on very natural materials to serve the purposes of today's society. Like mm. now, it's like hundred times more expensive, and because it's actually more expensive to be environmentally friendly. Than not to be so how do you what you know how does that put where does that put the consumer and i mean like why does it cost 25 pounds to buy an eco-friendly food wrapping when you can just buy cling film for a pound yeah exactly there's no the consumer, there, yeah that. it's just illogical like the consumers yeah. are generally not the problem it's the markets that provide and construct these ideas that you soon realize that this is not the world you want to be part of mm. yeah 
that's where you embrace like the awakening and truly understand like what environmental justice means and and how yeah how can we how can it be intersectional well i suppose intersectional is all about the layers of a person and like yeah like like, onion. yeah exactly and we take on take on board like the different parts of a human being that should be considered when thinking about how climate change affects people you know yeah, yeah. Um, like you know if what is my carbon footprint on this planet in comparison to someone who lives thousands of miles away with no electricity no air mileage to their name only sourcing food that grows on the land for example i mean guaranteed i will not win that battle <laughs> i mean so when when we look at the effects of climate change i think with an intersectional lens um, we can appreciate and understand better how a person or the environment has more identities many layers that make up who they are those individual like components that like race gender class etc which shape the specific experience that individual has Mm. it just comes down to valuing people who for who they are and where they come from yes of course i think that's really important and you mentioned about the awakening that a lot of us have when we think about environmental issues and i just had a, a reflective moment there and thought back to when lockdown first began and there was a lot of panic buying people couldn't really get the products they wanted because they'd run out and i had this really weird existential moment where i thought why have I never grown my own vegetables? Why don't I have any of these things? Why do I need to go to a shop to buy them when there are so many facilities for me to be able to grow them? Yeah. Um, and I thought of urban living, you know, city life, living in London, you, you don't always have a lot of outdoor space. And I thought of ways in which, you know, how can we as a society make way for prioritizing outdoor space and encouraging people to grow your own you know in small initiatives like that that can actually go a very long way especially given the current context of a pandemic that we're in and heading for another lockdown um, no mm. doubt mm -hmm. so yeah it's a really interesting point that you raised there Shahida as well I know that you also run some really awesome campaigns and various initiatives every year and one of your current campaigns is working to make sure that period products are plastic free, as you said, Natasha. And as part of that initiative, you ran Environmental Week last October and are doing so again this year, running from the 19th to 25th of October. Much of the stigma about periods comes from our lack of awareness about the health, the societal and the economic and environmental impacts of periods. I'd love to know a bit more about Environmental Week and your objectives for the initiative this year. Sure, absolutely. So yeah, you've kind of given a bit of an intro there. I guess I'll first just kind of talk about the environmental campaign that, that Wen's been running for a number of years now and sort of what the main aims are of that campaign. So really the main focus is uh, to um, for, for people who menstruate to be able to manage their periods without harming the planet or their health and also uh, in doing so, um, breaking the, the menstrual taboo mm. that we have in our society. And we also raise awareness about the impact of menstrual products on the environment and provide information about the conventional disposable period products mm. um, that are currently the most widely available and how this uh, they potentially could affect our health. And um, so what we do is we... Uh, provide workshops, we have an ambassador program where we're able to uh, deliver period education about with all the information that people would need to make an informed choice about which menstrual products to use. Mm. And 
through these um, educational interactive engagements that we have, um, we try to challenge the stigma of menstruation. So we do work with young people and um, sometimes it's uh, quite a taboo to topic mm -hmm. and embarrassing topic for yeah. a lot of people. So um, we try to normalize the conversation and, um, and we also have uh, a environmental coalition as well, where we collectively take action with uh, over 60 organizations to promote healthy, eco-friendly menstruation. And so that's through, whether that be through education or lobbying actions to manufacturers or policymakers. Mm. And um, as a bit of background for Environmental Week, so Environmental Week was launched in 2018. So we're now into our third year. Oh, wow. Yeah. And yeah, it's a week of action uh, that was started here in the UK by WEN. Um, so we convene the week and it's really dedicated to advocating for healthy, eco-friendly menstrual products for everybody. Um, and it's about ensuring that people can feel empowered to make an informed choice about their, their um, menstruation decisions. And also we have a, a purpose of tackling period plastic, especially, and um, harmful chemicals like hormone disrupting chemicals that are found in these products. Um, and as I said earlier, tackling the taboo and also increasing access and championing plastic free and reusable menstrual products that are already on the market, yeah. which not a lot of people know about. No. So we talk about all the different options that are available, um, whether it be menstrual cups, period pants, um, reusable tampon applicators or reusable washable pads. Um, and really, it's been exciting, the, the movement that we've had with Environmental Week. And it's uh, a week where we always launch a toolkit, which is meant to be a very accessible toolkit for anybody to use. So it could be, you could just be someone who's really passionate about making a difference in your community, or it could be an organization that wants to improve their environmental you know practices yeah um, or really it's open to everybody and there's lots of interesting activities included so we have like an instruction pack for how to make your own period pad oh, and wow, a pattern so uh you know you can host a period quiz to raise awareness about the issues with your contacts and friends and networks and family and we also lobby manufacturers. So like you mentioned earlier, we, we might put together a social media kit where people can tweet at um, big manufacturers about the plastic issue or any issues that they want to raise with them. Yeah. And we do that uh, every year really. And this year we're excited as well because we're launching a big photo challenge called, called the period proud photo, photo challenge oh wow okay so it's going to be a challenge that people can participate in where they take a picture outside in a kind of in an unexpected area it doesn't have to be outside it can be inside but with their favorite period product oh wow and it, can okay. be, it can be a reusable product or a plastic free product or if you don't have one of those yet just your go-to period product and the idea is that you kind of break the taboo by being open about your period um, it could be out in public or you know somewhere in your household because we're in lockdown yes um, you know you could be climbing a tree or petting your dog or doing yeah. a, your favorite yoga pose or something um, but basically it's 
the idea is to really, um, you know, uh, be out and proud and loud about our periods. Mm, yeah, um, sounds like a fantastic initiative. Yeah. And very uh, encouraging as well, people to come yeah. out and speak about it openly, something that, yeah, hopefully will, to an extent, destigmatize the conversation around periods. I really hope so. Yeah, exactly. That's really the hope. And we're really excited that we're partnering with um, our friends at Zero Waste Europe who run um, the Break Free from Plastic movement. And so we're hoping this photo challenge will go kind of Europe wide and potentially, I'm sure that through social media, it could potentially go global. um, So we're launching it soon and, um, and and people will hopefully be posting their photos throughout uh, throughout the week, um, which is 19th to 25th of October. But I think that we would be, we would love for the challenge to, you know, go, go forward beyond that. Yes. Um, Yes. I think you've touched upon this already, but you know, in a way we've discussed how periods have become very monetized through big corporations who tend to take the majority cut of the profits or the money that we give to, you know, in exchange for period products. Um, Plastic pollution from period products is now the fifth most common found in the sea. And the main reason for that is that people still flush them down the toilet (laughs) uh, as part Mm -hmm. of environmental week. I understand that WEN aims to amplify the conversation around usables and plastic-free period products. Uh, I I do have to admit that my knowledge in this area is very limited, uh, and I'm sure this is the case for many millennials, uh, as well as older menstruating women as well, who, you know, might not be aware of these sorts of things. Uh, I guess my question is, how do we raise greater awareness in this area? And are there any cross-organizational commercial initiatives that WEN partners with to bring plastic free and reusables to the mainstream. So for example, uh, I noted that during my recent trip to the supermarket, the sanitary products aisle was dominated by the popular brand names with tampons and pads taking up most of the shelf space. Whereas I don't really think I even spotted reusables, for example, moon cups, unless I looked at the very bottom. I just wanted to ask what we're doing to uh, to raise the visibility of, of alternatives which are more sustainable yes that's a really good question and it's very true that unfortunately alternative options aren't readily as re- readily available as the typical products you would normally see in the typical brands um, but what's really interesting is that actually um, toxic-free and plastic-free period products have existed for decades, but mm-hmm. they're just not very well known, and no, they're not, and yeah. not very many people know about them. And so, things like the menstrual cup, which is um, an insertable uh, menstrual management method, mm-hmm. where you where the the blood is um, collected rather than absorbed like a tampon, and it mm-hmm. can be reused for up to ten years. The menstrual cup has actually been around since I think it's the 1930s. Oh wow! But because of yeah, but because of um, I think because of the taboo around periods, as well as um, the fact that big industry companies have you know the majority market share in this space, yes. that they kind of have the you know the marketing budgets to prom- to push and promote their products, mm. and um, whereas the kind of smaller businesses or eco and sustainable menstrual product companies um, don't have as much of a um, presence just yet. Mm. But that's sort of what we're hoping to uplift um, 
in our in an environmental campaigning work mm. and we're uh, trying to lobby big manufacturers to invest in reusables introduce reusable ranges into their products and yeah. um, and yeah. also remove plastic and and um, any other harmful uh, materials that are in their products mm. um, but I think it really is all linked to education really as well um, because um, a recent YouGov survey found that around three quarters of children aren't actually satisfied with the period period education they receive mm. so and also on top of that boys aren't really included in the conversation no, um, yeah. and I think it's around 72 percent of boys were not taught anything about the menstrual cycle um in in school um and so that's that's kind of where i think the root um as well uh, the root issue is as well is that we're not really taught about periods in a very um holistic way and we're not um able to to learn about um all the different options that are available yeah. including reusables and plastic free options yeah so so um i think it's really you know the people who have the most responsibility i think are definitely the industry giants yeah um, just because they have a vested interest in continuing to pump out yeah. their plastic yeah. um chemical filled products um that are disposable because it's i guess it's kind of a better business strategy for them it for is, people yeah, to have to continuously buy them you know exactly exactly the, um, i was just about to make that point i mean why would you yeah. there's no incentive in selling a one you know a reusable product because they're not going to come back and, and buy more of them so yeah exactly so i guess that also is tied to like our capitalist society and the, <laughs> the need to continually have to um to to like feed it to this consumerist society but at the same time if that's the only option available then of course that's what we'll we'll turn to yeah. um but yeah and i think through our environmental ambassador program where we train uh we train individuals and activists to um to provide education about all of these issues in school environments as well as community groups and universities and uh, business centers as well mm. um, we we try to ensure that we're filling the gap through these workshops um, about the environmental health and social context of periods so that we get a better understanding of of our our bodies as well as um how what what kind of um you know products that we use how they can affect the environment etc yeah. so sounds fantastic so i did talk about the menstrual cup um and there's also washable cloth pads where there's to totally loads of brands available to choose from these days um, and on our website we have um, a bunch of organizations and companies that we partner with that offer um, money off vouchers and discount codes so people if people are interested in trying but it may be a bit too expensive for them they can they can use those codes well wow, that sounds um, like a really good initiative yeah yeah and it's great and we've we've seen we've seen progress um you know recently you know period pants period underwear is now available in um in supermarkets and you know we do see menstrual cups being more and more widely available boots just introduced menstrual cups uh, their own brand menstrual cup which That's is nice. great yeah um and i think it's it's getting there we still have <laughs> work to do um 
but there's there's also you know if people aren't comfortable with making the switch to reusable options there's also you know organic and plastic free mm -hmm. disposable options as well yeah. so we also work with a number of brands that offer that as well so it's Fantastic. it's good to know that there's quite a wide variety of options out there and um and sort of if you think about the kind of economic benefits to switching to reusable products although yeah. there's an upfront upfront cost associated mm -hmm. with it it does end up saving you up to 94 percent over yes. the course of your lifetime yeah. because yeah because yeah, you don't have to continue to buy the disposables i was just thinking back to my conversations with my grandma recently well a few years ago now and, she, and i was saying you know what did you do during all time and she was saying how she never had any pads or tampons she just had to use reusable cloth and and to me mm -hmm. when i when i heard that first I, I i cringed and i thought how can you do that surely that's unhygienic but actually mm -hmm. it's incredibly sustainable and you know what's in the product you're using a piece of cloth which is probably a lot less likely to have chemicals that we see mm -hmm. or you don't not even aware about when it comes to pads and, and tampons like you like you mentioned with a lot of synthetic chemicals so yeah i mean there's a lot of a lot to, of maybe unlearning to do as well as learning um, yes products yeah definitely and yeah and there's so many kind of care instructions for you know if you're using reusables mm. how to make sure you're um t uh, keeping your product hygienic and things like that and oftentimes they can be more hygienic than the alternative option um if you're caring for them correctly so um yeah so we always kind of raise awareness about how to use them how to care for them and wash them moving on now to the soul sisters project which um i recently heard about and which seeks to empower domestic violence sufferers through therapeutic gardening uh, where when visits their homes and provides weekly gardening sessions comprising of horticulture as well as cooking crafts and arts um i'd love to know a bit more about the initiative and uh, more importantly, what sort of feedback uh, WEN has received from the women who've been able to be a part of this uh, broader project? Uh, yeah, so the Soul Sisters um, project has been running for three years. It's a pilot programme um, that uh, comprises of five women's refugees in East London. And the project uh, has been running for two years in partnership with Asiana Network, Hestia and Refuge. Um, and it's basically, so I'm, I go, like you said, Tanya, I, I turn up at a women's refuge. Um, you know, there's around eight women who live in uh, the household that I, I visit. And mm. um, it, I mean, the turnaround can be, can vary between the refugees. So we have, five refugees but like you know the some refugees have children some don't have children some my one are just exclusively just women mm. predominantly from south asian backgrounds my role is to to kind of visit their homes really and kind of go and talk about a garden therapy and what kind of things they they enjoy doing generally yeah. it's like it's not, it encompasses like hobbies as well like, like general chit chat as well just yeah we do we do lots of like crafts and activities oh, and, um awesome. you know and cooking's like one of the most like the favorite thing yeah, to, yeah i can imagine <laughs> you know when asian women get together that is like you know the ultimate it's it's definitely therapeutic i love cooking it it distracts me it takes me into a whole new world yeah i think it's because everyone brings like so many different recipes from you know across the globe and like you know mm -hmm. even like 
just in one country like one in, in India like there's so many different variations to one dish so yeah everybody's so eager to like share what they know um, obviously we go with the intention of taking our skills um, my skills being you know horticulture and learning how to garden grow food I just wanted to ask I mean it's, it's a great you know it's a fantastic example of ecofeminism in action and human connection with nature and I thought it'd be interesting to hear about, you know, through your interactions with these people, um, were you able to understand their experiences and perceptions and how they shaped their views about womanhood and feminism? I simply entered into an environment and my first in instinctive reaction was to have the utmost respect entering that space and being as humble as I possibly could be, even though yeah. I was and I'm in the position of facilitator. Um, I didn't feel I wanted to facilitate straight away. I yeah. wanted to give, you know, the time and space to create that kind of, as you say, womanhood, sisterhood, whatever you yeah, want. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, let it come to its own being organically. Yeah, um, making people feel comfortable. Yeah, exactly. And and the only thing I probably did superimpose on myself is the idea of getting a garden formed <laughs> <laughs> like within a really short space of time because the garden that I was assigned um, was pretty, like, much a jungle. Like, it was in a really bad state. Like, I was, I went in, I was like, oh, my goodness, like, how are we going to make this into, like, a sanctuary for the women? <laughs> so, like, it was a, it was a big responsibility. Um, and I was like, oh, how am I going to, like, work on this real quick? How are we going to do this? But again, that backfired because I didn't need, I needed to slow my pace right down again, you know. So the relationship with the women at the refuge was, somewhat like formed naturally through that exploration like you know how are we going to do this together yeah like me going in like as a gardener it was mm. that that's where the therape therapeutic element comes in um, um and I, I think um yeah that reinforces how like women work together standing strong where we can and equally sharing like our yeah, yeah. you know like I, I was kind of vulnerable as well because I'd been I'd gone into this new setting yeah and you know and I I didn't want to seem like someone who'd gone in to impose anything really just yeah sure that there was you know like I said utmost respect and safety was at the core like making sure women felt comfortable mm. and um yeah and I was never for a moment under the impression that I was going to heal people with garden therapy <laughs> no of course it's just a nice way to yeah i guess be you know strengthen your connection with nature also a nice way of being distracted um not in a way in which it's like oh i'm going to you know hide all my problem hide away from my problems or be in denial but it's a way to just i think it's a very nice way to just use your muscles that you might not otherwise have used yeah use a different no, thought process as well if you're you know planting new seeds if you're working with someone else or with a group of people to yeah to cooperate and work in teams and um yeah bounce idea but bouncing ideas off each other i think that that's a great yeah. form of therapy as well and gardening obviously like since lockdown people have gone a bit like <laughs> mad with it like in a yeah, good, yeah. good way like obviously we're not we, we're saying it's amazing like everybody yeah, yeah which is so cool like there's so many people taking up allotment spaces and mm. trying to you know I think lockdowns had a real huge impact on how people see their green spaces and mm. you know how they can um what they can do in the most smallest of spaces with the smallest of spaces and um and I think you know going back to the refuge it's been you know so beneficial for I think like both both of us working together, you know, the refugees and for for when, you know, for, for me as a as 
as a job like to, to yeah, be... it's a two-way process isn't it oh yeah most definitely like I, I feel like I get just as much you know um because it's exactly what I want to do I want to be gardening and I want to be cooking like the the produce that I grow and it's like yeah. how does that come together in 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 the refuge that's just like you know amazing really and and the feedback um we've we've been getting generally have been you know really like heartwarming you know women have there was a woman who left after two years of being at the refuge and had written to me to say that she'd learned so much like from just you know the gardening clubs that we did run and um and has been growing like loads of herbs on her windowsill and she feels um you know less lonely like because she's got something to connect with you know? yes yeah. just her out in the world by herself which she hasn't been in for like two years because she's been with all these women in a refuge but now you know like how does she go into this big world and not have any connection but this connection with her herbs like just that makes her feel safe makes her feel you know that she's got she's taken something away from the refuge that is still alive you know, literally yeah, sounds like yeah a beautiful initiative that engages many people who might not otherwise have had that safe space to connect with other people so it sounds fantastic yeah, I also heard about uh, bulk or read about balcony blooms during COVID nineteen, which I understand you also spearheaded either. <laughs> One of your um, oh gosh, where did that? That I think yeah, like it just. I just thought I literally just was fed up of like listening to COVID dramas and then. Needed some yeah, like headspace. So I went to my balcony and like obviously you know when you're working and when you're just you know running your home and things like that like you don't get that space to kind of really think about um all the other things that become peripheral like your garden space or your like balcony space in my case so so yeah I just went and like thought oh okay I've got time and space to think about this little space now which is my tiny little balcony and I thought I'll write a little blog first initially it was just like one blog and then I thought oh this everyone seems to enjoy reading <laughs> you inspired people so yeah no it was actually quite yeah feedback and people were kind of feeling quite energized and um, so I wrote a series of blogs after during lockdown and uh, yeah it was just my way of responding to the world in some way I guess I found myself Mm. I think allotments and balconies are gonna make or already are making a very swift comeback now so that's great definitely yes very Uh, proud going everyone Well, I'm sure you've inspired a lot of people to uh, to start gardening if they haven't already. Um, it's been a really interesting discussion with both of you. You've made some really awesome points, um, both about your projects and the wider WEN campaign and broader objectives uh, in the long term. And I just wanted to wrap up with some final thoughts about climate change more broadly. I don't know if you both came across the uh, climate clock by two artists named Gan Golan and Andrew Boyd, which was put up in New York City uh, and warned that there are now seven years until Earth's carbon budget is depleted and it made quite a few headlines it was very striking Um, and I just wanted to to ask you you know is an intersectional feminist approach to tackling climate change the way to address this and why and I think a lot you know a lot of this stuff has actually already been answered in the examples that you've both given but taking in the broader climate change context um, I mean, by way of example, uh, around 80% of Climate Assembly UK members have said that economic recovery now, following the pandemic, should help achieve net zero, uh, and the government should contextualise any eco- economic uh, recovery plans with a net zero emissions target in mind. 
um, and that tackling COVID and the and climate change uh, are not mutually exclusive. That you know economic recovery plans need to take account of climate change. Um, and the intersectional feminist approach to that is that a lot of people have really enjoyed, you know, working from home. I think a lot of women have having that balance between home mm. and and work and also cutting their commute as well. That's saving energy. Um, mm. And I guess that's an intersectional, you know, applying a, a, a simplistic but a very effective intersectional lens approach to why we should act now as individual as individuals taking action to, um, you know, try and uh, mitigate the effects of climate change however small that may be yeah i was just going to say that i think covid has actually uh, been a bit of a you know eye-opener for a lot of people in the sense that we've got all these high-rise big buildings that people exist in during the day and then in the evening in their homes and then when you realize actually you can do people are managing to do both in and you know in in their houses and work you know live and you know not saying it's the ideal situation but then like brings into question like why do we you know have so many of these buildings that just occupy like just electricity and like yeah no reason why are we commuting and why are we commuting you know what what yeah what is it it just asks lots of questions i think that um target you know around climate change and mm. how could we could could we be doing a lot better than than we are um and yeah, and obviously the seven year thing, we shouldn't really be here anyway. Like we shouldn't. Can't believe it's gotten here. Yeah, seven, we shouldn't have a seven year itch. We should just, <laughs> there shouldn't be such a thing. We should have, we should not have done this already. Um, so. Um, yeah, but it was always someone else's problem, wasn't it? Until now. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, we, and I think even taking responsibility now, um, we're still quite, slow because like we you know we build things and then we say oh we need to build put more trees in the ground and then we're like well how are we balancing it all, all of those things out like we just we pump things into the you know um pump things into the planet and then still strip it away so it's like where's the middle ground mm, yeah. yeah very interesting point um, yeah and i would just add like from from the environmental uh, perspective that you know, the climate crisis has really propelled uh, kind of menstruation as a topic to the forefront um, in terms of have there's been more kind of discussions around the fact that many of the products that are used, unfortunately, are uh, are containing single-use plastic and you know, the majority of one menstrual pad contains 90% plastic. So, yeah. and, and I've come to hear, you know, from other sort of sustainable menstrual companies that there's been an uptake and interest in reusables um, as during the pandemic, which is, you know, it's unfortunate that the circumstances, um, that these are the circumstances that people are kind of learning about reusable menstrual products but it's actually um it can be a positive thing to to look at ways that we can sort of manage our health and our periods at home in a in a way that is better for our health and the planet and so it's actually given people time to kind of you know wash their period products at home and yeah. you know you're not constantly on the move or thinking about you know how how things can be you know, most convenient in terms of using disposables, you're kind of, I guess it's really 
that the pandemic has really brought these sort of um, issues into the forefront and it's been an interesting kind of transformation to see people recognizing um, the different kind of practical things they can do at home that can actually um, yeah. make, yeah, a, make a difference. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think it's definitely been a period of reflection and also comfort if you're if you're at home you're not worried about you know you're able to experiment with products whereas otherwise Mm -hmm. in a work context if you're commuting you wouldn't be you you might be insecure about trying on a new product in case you leaked or something you know thinking about the very simple practicality like this you know you realize how Mm -hmm. when you are working from home when you have that work-life balance you are able to do other things that you might not otherwise have whether that's you know Mm -hmm. trying on a new menstrual product or getting experimental with a particular type of sustainable offering by reading up or researching about it which you might otherwise not have had time for so yeah Mm -hmm. it does sound very positive so far yeah definitely definitely and tying it into like the wider you know plastics issue which is definitely detrimental to um to the environment and is part of the climate catastrophe that we have at the moment mm. and how that how that is linked to you know our oceans our land um and also our own you know personal health um so it's definitely uh where you know we're going to definitely continue with our campaigning around bringing these issues to light and kind of offering practical solutions to these issues that could potentially have a more beneficial um impact so yeah, definitely something that we um, want to keep at the forefront of all the projects we do. Yeah, amazing. Well, I've learned so much from both of you and you're, all, you're both very inspiring people as well. Um, you've encouraged me to do some gardening, to get more involved in campaign work as well, um, especially now that, you know, well, for, for the last six months, we've been able to, a lot of us have been fortunate enough to be able to work from home and that's given us, a lot of us, the time, you know, some extra time to be able to do things. Um, especially volunteer work as well so um, so thank you so much to both of you for being incredible guests and for I hope you've also inspired our listeners as well and uh, I hope you enjoyed this this little interview yes thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us you're very welcome thank you for being here and I hope you both enjoy the rest of your Friday you too thank you so thank much you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found this discussion or topic interesting and you want to share your views, we'd love to hear from you. I'm so grateful to those of you who have taken the time to leave me comments, reviews and messages about your thoughts on the podcast. It's really helped inform my direction for this season. Keep your comments coming. I really do love them. You can find us on Instagram, LinkedIn and Facebook by searching for Brown Don't Frown Podcast and on Twitter at BDF Podcast. You can also reach me on my blog at tanyasweeklydose.com. Please do join the conversation using the hashtag Brown Don't Frown Podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, I'd be super grateful if you could leave me a rating and review as this helps the podcast garner further traction. Please like, share and subscribe. Until next time, thank you.